everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Embrace ASD podcast. In this episode, we speak with Eric Marmestein. He is a serial entrepreneur who lives in Israel, and to name just a few of the projects he's worked on, he's the co-founder of Mimuna, the founder of Refreshbox, and most recently, the founder of Spectrums, a remote freelance blog that connects autistic talents with businesses. We bring you Eric Marmestein. All right, everyone. I'm here, Matt. And Martin is co-hosting this time, and we've got our next guest, Eric. Eric Marmestein. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, that's uh, that's okay. Hey, guys. How are you? Yeah. Um, I'm fantastic. I'm good. It's a beautiful day here in Massachusetts. No, this is, this is crazy. Beautiful day to have coronavirus. <laughs> 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 anyway. Um, okay, but... The first thing that comes to mind is uh, just how industrious you are. So for our listeners, Eric, it's easier just to say what he doesn't do. I mean, he's a co-founder of Mimuna or Mimona. I'm not sure how to pronounce it correctly. It's a... uh, That's a Mimuna. Mimuna. Yeah. So it's essentially one of the largest, if not the largest, crowdfunding service in Israel, having raised over $9 million to date through crowdfunding and um spectrums which i believe is his most recent venture he's a founder of it's a remote freelance blog slash service and it connects autistic talent with businesses and corporations that's how i met eric i am one of the uh, i guess founding partners in spectrums um i'm a member as well oh yes that's right martin is that's very recent too martin just joined right yes and uh, Refreshbox, the founder of Refreshbox, a five-link collection newsletter creation service. So if you want to create a site, have a newsletter to put out weekly, daily, this site will help you curate that really easily. And, um, you know, being a Kickstarter slash Mimuna king, Eric has Sonia Bot created. It's the first crowdfunding bot coach because uh, we don't need humans anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And last but not least, he serves as the head of growth at Guggy GIFs or GIFs, however you choose to pronounce it. And he's a regular writer. It's ga- it's Guggy. Guggy. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't don't trust me to pronounce anything correctly. <laughs> no, that's you, you've done you've done a good job so far. Thank you. Um, <laughs> he's contributed in, in publications, big time ones such as Venture Beat and. Um, yeah, again, it's easier to say what you haven't done. So first question is, how the hell do you have time to have like five jobs? You know, it's a, it's, it, it, I've done that for the past, uh, I think, eight years. Um, basically, I went to law school and I just, I had to run away from, from being a lawyer. Uh, so I had a lot, you know, I had a lot of motivation to do Mimuna um, uh, dur- during the night. And Mimuna... Mimuna was uh, was my company for the past eight years. We just uh, like a few months ago, we just uh, shut it down. Uh, it was uh, it was enough. Uh, and some of the projects you mentioned were like side projects I did during while I was ma- managing Mimuna. Uh, but uh, starting from 2018, I joined Gagi as full time, and just recently I left Gagi and I started Spectrums. So you know it's um it's an ongoing process. I'm not doing everything at, at the same time, but um, you know I'm I've I've got the the entrepreneurship uh, uh, virus. If we're, we're talking about viruses, so I've, that's 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 like it it caught me. 
Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Corona wasn't good enough to create his own virus. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and yeah, so you're essentially the Elon Musk of Israel in a lot of ways. Oh, oh, oh no, no, I wouldn't say that. You know, there are, there are a lot of a lot of talented uh, a lot of a lot of talented people in Israel. So that I'm I'm, I'm not, but uh, you know, that's that I'm, I want to be. <laughs> I'm working hard to be. Yeah, well, you're certainly well on your way. I mean. And, and speaking of Israel, um, there's one thing I wanted to bring up to you is uh, I may butcher this pronunciation. Rayim Rachuk, the program that the Israeli Defense Force has to enlist and recruit young autistic talents, and uh, particularly um, Unit 9900, the Visual Intelligence Unit in the IDF. So it sounds to me like they're a country, Israel's a country that's really really looking at to what autistic people can do and what uniquely benefits them. Do you find that this is reflected in greater society in Israel? Unfortunately, I, I wouldn't say that uh, before my son was diagnosed, I, did, I, I wasn't that aware for autism and, and employment. Uh, definitely, Roy Brachok is the, the translation is uh, you see far away. So um, this, is, this is a very, a very sophisticated and promising program that, uh, you know, brings autistic people into the army um, and they're doing a very important job here. Um, I, I, I am starting to see more startups and high-tech companies uh, that are bringing autistic into, into uh, the workforce, mainly as um, QA currently, which is, uh, which is, is good in, a, in one way, but it's unfortunate in another way because it's a huge spectrum. People can do so many, so many things that, I don't know why why it became so popular, you know, to hire autistic for uh, for QA jobs. But um, I'm starting to see more and more people in, in in different roles. But I wouldn't say Israel has is more aware to that than other countries. Um, unfortunately, I think I think par- parents are. I'm, I'm a parent to an autistic uh, child, and and ever since I've started, I've started to be significantly more more aware of that. Absolutely, and. I noticed even major corporations like uh, SAP and Microsoft now have uh, autistic-specific programs for recruitment, and Microsoft's leading the way in this regard. I mean, they completely got rid of the traditional interview process altogether, knowing that it largely um, inhibits a lot of autistic people who, you know, they may not reciprocate typical body language and other things that people may give you lesser scores on if you were at a job interview. A typical job interview. Yeah, I do get the impression that it's becoming more and more part of uh, public awareness. Like Oxford University is very understanding with the uh, very aware of uh, autistic uh, traits and how they can potentially undermine the uh, job interview process and yeah, yeah, other interviews. By the way, I think I think that for the job interview process is. Um, is not is not doing well to to a lot of uh, neurotypicals. I mean, uh, you know. You have to, you have to excel in like 20, 30 minutes. They they read, they could read about your accomplishments, talk to you know to people who worked with you for two years and recommend you, and then they get, you know people give like more um, more significant to a 20, 20 30 minutes uh, interview. It sounds it sounds uh, a bit silly to me, but yeah. maybe you know that's that's <laughs> it's just me, but. Uh, 
Yeah, definitely. Microsoft and SAP is, is also, they have the Autism at Work program. Um, it's, it, it, it's great, but, you know, I, I think that um, smaller companies could do it as well. I mean, it's, it might even be easier for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to, because you, you have to, if, if I've, I've researched it a lot. Before I started Spectrums, I've done, I've done a lot of research. And, and I, had, I had two solutions for the, for the unemployment problem, uh, two solutions in mind. First one is educating employers and then, you know, connect employers to autistic people and, um, and, and, and have them work uh, in a traditional way. So I reached out to a five, more than 500 companies offering them, um, um, you know, to hire autistic people. I prepared a very specific guide on how to do that properly. Yeah. And, um, almost no one wanted to to deal with it hmm. they they that's so sad it, it is it is it wasn't on the, on the top of their list um i mean everyone says it's important but but it's not important enough to do it right now yeah and when did you reach out so i i reached out like two and a half three months ago Huh. Um, I knew. Oh wow! Yeah, I had, I had like um, very, very fresh. It is, it is, it is, and 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 big companies started talking to me. I had some calls as well, but I knew that it's a, uh, it's a long, it's a long process for them. And it, it it seems to me that smaller companies, you know, a startup with three, four, five people, could do it much faster. You don't have to educate a lot of people. You just have to to say, "Hey, meet Eric. He's autistic, and um, this is what he likes. This is what he doesn't like. When when you see this sign, don't reach out to him. When you see, you know, it's 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 easier. Yeah. And it's it's more like more like a family. So so that was the first solution. And then I said, okay, it's not going to work fast enough uh, for a startup to do that. And I've been talking to to many autistic people, and they told me, listen, I prefer to work from home. I mean, choosing, choosing, and again, it's not all of them, but I've, I've done a survey and I've talked to many people and they told me, I wish to work from home. Mm-hmm. The traditional workplace is not, is not a good fit for me. I don't want to go to, to a corporate event. I don't want to, I don't want to, I prefer not to socialize too much. Did they explain why they had this aversion to socializing? Did you find it was because maybe a lot of them had bad experiences prior that made them not want to associate with people as much, especially in the workplace. I, I, I must say, I didn't get too much into why you prefer not to socialize. Um, I didn't ask that question too much. I did. I, I was able to understand that it causes a lot of stress. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, that's, that's like, that's like the main issue. Uh, socialize causes Stress and I don't want to be stressed. No one wants to be stressed. Yeah, I can I can say from my experience, I uh, once worked for a Fortune 75 company in IT doing cybersecurity. Okay. And um, it, I thought it was my dream job. It was great. This was before my diagnosis, and I just learned the the intercompany politics, the competition. It all of that drained me so much. I had to quit. I mean, it it wasn't the work as much as the politics surrounding the work office politics are just so toxic for me. And uh, I imagine a lot of other people on the spectrum have that experience. I mean, mm-hmm. Martin, what was your experience? I guess I tried to stick with the smaller companies in particular, because I just felt uh, safer. It's more personal. And I've had pretty good experiences with that. Yeah. And, and Eric, uh, how would you feel? What are your experiences with work and, and law? I mean, you had a law internship, you know, when you were fresh out of uh, 
university. So how was that? So, so university was great. I, I enjoyed uh, almost every minute of it. But on the oh, first, you're a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. No, no, I, 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 I wasn't. A, you know, as a child, I wasn't. Uh, but yeah, I became a, a big nerd. A, a, anyway, I, I uh, that was great. But the internship in Israel, you, you, you go to law school and then you do a year internship and then you can do the bar exams. And you don't have to study like to graduate from another degree and then move to a law to to a law degree. You can you can, you can just start with that. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. It, it, it makes <laughs> it's it's simply because we do we have the army for three years. So uh, you know, I started at 24, and you know, people in the US at 24 are already already graduating and, and making making great salaries. So it it it, it takes it takes more time in Israel. And anyways, the the internship was was <laughs> horrible. I mean, the first day was I had to stay like in the first day for until two a.m. I'm not kidding you. Oh that's, my God. that's that's practically the the first day I entered. Uh, in, Is that even legal? Uh, the you know you are in you are in. <laughs> I, I, I'm I interned in the in the biggest law firm in Israel. Oh dang! They can do they can do whatever they want. Yeah, <laughs> but every but but everyone does. So basically, 2 a.m. They told me to you know to analyze some document I've never seen before, and that's the, that's the way it started, and that's the way that's the way it was like for for a year. Uh, not 2 a.m. Every, every day, but definitely 16, 15, 16 hours a day of uh, intensive work. And and in the middle, I decided I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that, and I started working on Mimuna on the crowdfunding platform during the nights. It was a crazy year. It, it, it went like a like a bed like a bad dream. Um, and then I passed the bar exams and I started uh, officially at Mimuna. But um, when I think about it, I di- I didn't interact too much. So so people told me that I'm, I'm antisocial there. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I think about it more and more, and you know, I, I remember a lot of the time eating alone and and simply because I enjoyed it more. I'm, I'm, wow. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not, uh, I'm not autistic, but, uh, I was pretty, pretty isolated over there. Yeah. It sounds like, um, you may have Aspie traits, you know, have you heard of broad autism phenotype? I haven't. Uh, essentially it's for people, um, who don't meet the threshold to be, you know, put under the Asperger's or autism label, you know, Asperger's now deprecated, but they call high functioning autism. Yeah. Uh, if you don't really fit that level of criteria broad autism phenotype explains how people are kind of in the middle and um it would make sense you you have a child on the spectrum um you know it makes total sense that you'd have some aspie qualities in fact uh, it's highly correlated with higher intelligence in people as having some aspie qualities to them well you would have passed on the autism genes to your child certainly actually my, my child's case is uh my son has um, a relatively rare mutation. Oh wow! He's he's okay, and uh, and um, you, you you wouldn't see, it, but he has he has a specific, uh, relatively rare um, mutation that is correlated both with uh, autism and epilepsy. Oh wow! So, so we actually we actually know that's that's the reason. Wow! With him, yeah, that's that's incredible insight. Yeah, he's, he has an he's an amazing doctor who said uh, let's uh, let's uh, do uh, like full uh, genetic test uh, and um, and they found that is unheard of in the United States. I mean, I, I've never usually it's hard enough to even find a neuropsych to get the correct testing from, let alone 
a doctor who was going to sequence your genome. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's amazing. <laughs> she's amazing. That's uh, yeah, most most doctors are not like her, but she's uh, like yeah. That's uh, it, it. Do you think she herself is on the spectrum? I, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What's your son having seizures? So he, he had once. He had one seizure. It was actually pretty crazy. I went to uh, my best friend lives in New York, and I took uh, took a flight to New York, um, and we, we we did a road trip. We drove 15 hours uh, on the first day to Kentucky. Oh my god! And in the morning, that's that's like. 24 hours after I, I landed in the States, in the middle of Kentucky, my wife is calling me and she says, our son is in the hospital. He just got, got a seizure. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the lucky one because she was with him alone in, in, in the house, like seeing your child start to have a seizure. That's, uh, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. And then I like, just terrifying. took a flight back home like immediately. And, um, but he had, he had one seizure. Uh, I mean, he had three seizures during the day. So why we stopped the, the medication is uh, is uh, is okay so far, and after a while we started we started seeing some is is like super is like super confusing the, the little guy is like super confusing. And many people told us, hey, he, he should go to um, uh, you know to the to the traditional education system, and many told us no, he shouldn't. He should go to so it it's like. Um, it's like a weird, weird situation, and in, actually, that's 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 really how I uh, I started talking to autistic people, autistic adults. I found it the best way for me to learn to learn about it. Yeah, that's a really interesting step. That a lot of people don't. Um, they kind of just haul up and panic, and they try to force normalcy onto uh, their children. That's a lot of the mistake parents make. But it seems like you just embraced it and rather you thought, well, let me go to the best source. People who have lived as an autistic person their whole lives to see what they make of it. Exactly. 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 That's, uh, that was my intention. I wanted to understand how it looks from from, uh, from autistic perspective. And I, I didn't even start you know, learning about different kinds of uh, methods, you know, ABA and all this stuff. I, I'm, I'm, I haven't dealt with it. I just... I started talking to autistic people, and and that's how I heard that ABA is 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 horrible, and I shouldn't even get get near it. And that's that's actually a really important topic, and I'm really glad you brought it up. Is did you hear that from the autistic people themselves? Yeah. Wow. And, and what what are the kinds of things they said about it? They simply said it's uh, it's like forcing them to boost to 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 be someone they're not. I mean, the the, the most common the most common. Uh, uh, comment about it is why do I have to why do I have to look to someone in the eye? Why why do you think you have to force me to look to someone in the eye? Yeah. And and when I'm telling my son, hey, look me in the eye, not because of that, because because it makes more sense in, in a specific situation. It's not about ABA. I see it's hard for him. So I stopped I stopped doing that. It's hard for him. That's it. Why why do I have to force him to do that? I can I can understand him in you know it, Forcing someone to to a specific body language is is it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and I I'm lucky because uh, the way my autism manifests is such that in social situations I can stare people in the eye. I'm pretty good at the masking thing, and um, naturally I'm not too uncomfortable with eye contact. But even I notice after extended periods of time, I just my friends understand it. Thankfully, even my non-autistic friends. 
and they don't mind that I just don't make regular eye contact because it, it does become physically painful. I don't know how else to how else to explain it, but more than just discomfort. I mean, it starts to really take a toll on my cognitive performance if I stare too much. Yeah, it's very strange for sure. And I think I think that I mean I think that even for to neurotypicals, it's um, it's not that natural to to talk with someone and and all the time look them in the eye. I mean, you know, you, you move your your eyes to different directions every once and every now and then. I mean, I don't know. That's I guess someone just thought it's too important, and uh, and again, it didn't make sense to me. So talking to to autistic people helped me a lot to to understand what what I want to do. At what age was your son diagnosed? So officially, at uh, three and a half a year ago. Ah, uh, so. About the uh, about the average time, uh, we started the the process uh, at two and a half. They didn't have a decision. I mean, the the, the opinions were uh, were split between the doctor and the psychiatrist, and they said we want to want we need another year. Uh, and after another year, they decided that this uh, is on the spectrum. That seems uh, a very extensive process. Yes, 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 yes. Is is it always like that, or were there special circumstances? I think specifically for him, it uh, it is very confusing because um, when he talks to grown-ups, they don't realize, you know, that he's autistic. They they if if you tell them he's autistic, even grown-ups who, who knew him, they would tell you he's not autistic, um, which is annoying in many ways. Right. And uh, but when you put him with children in his own age, you immediately see that that he he avoids he avoids any interaction. He doesn't like it. It causes him it causes him a lot of stress. Right. Yeah. Speaking to my own experiences, um, I remember that as a kid, a comment I often heard from adults were uh, since I was I'm hyperlexic and was hyperlexic when I was younger. The most common thing is they'd say, you know, well, he's so good at talking to people and that I spoke like an adult and, you know, it kind of made some adults feel kind of weird how it, it almost made me seem like I was some prodigy. But in reality, it, it's actually very common for a lot of autistic kids is they some, for some reason get along better with adults and, you know, they have more mature thinking in some ways and difficulties in other ways, you know, it's, it's a wide gamut. Too. I would say probably the gift of autistic kids. Yeah, absolutely. That's an important caveat. The uh, gifted autistic kids. Thank you for that. And 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 that that was a challenge with the, with you know with the broader family. Um, since Israel is, is such a small country, we basically see the broader family almost every week. Uh, it's not like we see we see each other only in uh, you know in the big holidays because you know it's like a thirty minutes drive or you know something like that. Um, and the broader family is telling they don't understand what's going on. They haven't they haven't been in the entire process. And you know, even if they do understand, they have no awareness to autism. People don't have awareness mm -hmm. enough awareness to autism. So that's frustrating as well. Yeah, there are even many uh, medical professionals that don't know enough about autism. Uh, when I was a kid, my parents suspected something, and um, they asked the doctor, and he said, "No, absolutely not. He's not autistic." And then, like two decades later, I was diagnosed. Yes, the, there were there were significantly less uh, awareness back. Uh, I don't know, ten, fifteen years ago. Yeah. Um, now, now, now you are starting to see more and more awareness, and you, and you see it with the numbers as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it's crazy. As recently as 2018, I had. Um, doctors and psychiatrists who they tried to figure out what was going on and I was reacting poorly to some SSRIs and I didn't realize that I was experiencing burnout. I confused those symptoms with uh, 
depression. And, you know, I, I got bipolar too as a possible disorder before I met someone who finally said, you know, I think you're autistic. And then when you looked at how I behaved, it, it aligned perfectly. But it's incredible. Even today in the United States, there's so many professionals that really don't know much about autism. And mm-hmm. they have ideas of what autism is. I'm very extroverted. I don't appear stereotypically autistic according to what they're used to thinking autistic people are like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, quite a few autistic people have a long history of diagnoses, including borderline and bipolar, and, and they keep being sent away to other specialists. It's quite a problem, but there, there is more awareness being created. Absolutely. I think, I think autism, it, it, it didn't have a good, a good PR firm, <laughs> if, I, if I may say so. No. Yeah. Yeah, Autism Speaks has not been the most charitable organization. Yeah, and 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 and, and generally, you know, when when people when you say to common people autism, they think about Raymond if they you know if they are old enough. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, but it's uh, it's 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 so so much different than uh, than you know it, it it really is a huge spectrum. I don't need to tell you. But yeah, but it's also fascinating, like what the cultural influence of that movie was. Now we see more like movies and series with different expressions of autism. I guess usually it's still stereotypical, but I'm, I'm glad that it's more present in the in the media. Me too. Me too. Um, with Netflix as a as a, as a as a show about it. Atypical, right? Serious about it. Yeah. 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 Ironically, yeah. atypical. The best represented character of. Uh, high-functioning autism in that show, ironically, I think is Sam's girlfriend, who really fits the bill of an Aspie woman. And her struggles in college reflect that. She just couldn't fit in. She didn't really get why. And uh, ironically, she hasn't, I hope she gets diagnosed later in the show. I mean, she just fits the bill so well, but it's almost like invisible even to the writers of that show, you know? (laughs) And, And Sam has more stereotypical autistic features. Yes. It's the irony of it all is really funny to me. So and uh, no, go on. I'm sorry. So, so I was I was just wondering how how long did it take to to diagnose you? Oh man, 25 years. <laughs> yeah, I got my diagnosis just last summer. So, but you you were trying you were trying to figure out something for for the for the past 25 years. Yeah, I, I've always known there was something different about me, and I had gotten mood adjustment disorder, bipolar two, major depression, pretty much everything but autism. And uh, I finally found people. Well, what happened is in January of 2019, my friend who's herself on the spectrum, she said, you know, Matt, I think you're autistic. And I mean, she actually put it in a much funnier way. She said, I'm a thousand percent sure you're autistic. (laughs) (laughs) I, I laughed hysterically and I'm like, oh, why? And she, you know, in true autistic fashion, named a laundry list of perceptions. Uh, about my behavior. And I said, you know, you've got a really strong case. So I looked for uh, specialists who deal with autism in adults. And that therapist was like, yeah, I think you are autistic. And the way he put it is hilarious to me. He's like, yeah, you got a couple toes dipped in the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, to get to make sure it was the real deal, I sought a neuropsychiatrist in a nearby city. And she's amazing. Uh, Dr. O is what I call her. And she, um, she gave me the neuropsych battery, the AQ, autism quotient testing, and uh, Weschler's 4 IQ testing to see processing speed and working memory. 
all sorts of batteries. And she determined like, yeah, oh, you're definitely on the spectrum. It's just, I don't present myself in ways that seem stereotypical. Uh, I'm again, I'm really extroverted and it doesn't, it doesn't compute to people's minds that I could be so extroverted and have not much difficulty talking to strangers, but still be autistic. They're really interesting. Yeah. I mean, all kinds, right? It really is a massively big spectrum. How long was your uh, clinical process, uh, Matt? Um, the clinical process for the testing was three days of four hours long each. Oh. So it's pretty pretty intensive, but I thought it was really fun. I mean, it felt like a set of games to me. It was really cool. Yeah, I felt the same. Which, yeah. which I've argued is also a feature of autism, the, the, the amount of fun you have with answering these questions. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, she she could really see it. I, I My fascination for animals, I remember what really sealed the deal was I just lit up when I told her for the first time saw a river otter on a run. And I freaked out because I love uh, the super family Mustaloidia. It's weasels, otters, all those animals. And um, yeah, she's like, oh, yeah, this is definitely a special interest. And I'm like, hell yeah. I went, <laughs> off. I went off on an animal fact tirade she never asked for. <laughs> So, so it's like a longer process to diagnose an autistic adult than a child. Yeah. It, I mean, it seems like... It's just historically, there just hasn't been much uh, much research until recently or even much much funding in general for autism in adults. It was it was really a child's condition for so long. Yeah, also the, the kids that are most obviously autistic, those get diagnosed and, and people like Maddie I, I, in particular and me as well, they get found out two, three decades later, often more. We know quite a few people that, that are being diagnosed in their 60s. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible how long it's taken. Yeah. And uh, Eric, one thing I am really curious about is um, you mentioned how there are some societal pressures put on your son to kind of, you know, mold himself into NT profiles, you know, eye contact, etc. I'm wondering if you've experienced anyone who's set boundaries on what's possible for him after hearing about his diagnosis. Do you mean possible for him um, to, to achieve? Yeah, to achieve, you know, in any capacity, you know, sports or intellectual pursuits. I mean, anything really. It's, I've experienced that myself. So I'm wondering if your son has had those experiences. Um not that I'm aware of, and um, I, I will. I would be pretty pissed off if if I if I <laughs> hear about someone who tells him he can't he can't do something. Man, you are the best autism parent. <laughs> See, not everyone's an autism mommy. Everyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you know, my goal at the end of the day is to help him find what he loves, and he needs to do. I mean, he needs to do what he loves. And, and my, my goal is to help him find it. That's, uh, that's the goal. He can do whatever he wants. Um, so, so we got the results from the, from the genetic test the amazing doctor gave us. And we had to get them from a different doctor who, is, uh, who has a specific, you know, is a, is a, a genetic doctor. I don't know if that's, that's the right uh, termination, but uh, um, that's, that's what it is. So my wife, I was, I was at work in the U.S. And my wife told me, uh, she went to, to the doctor and he told her, listen, he's smart. If he, if he didn't have that mutation, he would be a genius. And I remember she called me wow. and she was, she was like pretty, um, 
she she was she was in a bad shape because you know and he just he just said it he didn't even think right. so that's i think that's the only but it's not correlated to 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 his autism um but again i'm i mean he can do whatever whatever he wants and i i hope that he he'll do what he loves not something else yeah it's interesting though that the doctor says if it weren't for his autism he would be a genius i would argue there are a lot of geniuses exactly because of their autism yeah one of the features of autism is local cross connectivity in the brain, and I think this this often results in, in remarkable um, talents and lateral thinking and uh, a lot of amazing features. Absolutely, I agree. And I, th- I think one of the it's it's pretty common to see around um, if you search in some SEO tools, um, you know, to see what people are looking looking on Google. Marketers do that <laughs> for some reason. Um, you see that a lot of parents are looking for famous people with autism or autistic famous people. And I think, I think that for, for some parents, it's um, because they don't know anything about autism, they need to find some sort of, um, some sort of a way to, to stay hopeful about their kids. But that's, that only shows that there is not enough awareness to autism. Because if, if we had enough awareness to autism, and I'm talking about myself as well before my son was diagnosed, if we had enough um, awareness, then you, do, you wouldn't have to look for, 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 you know, for famous people with autism. You, you, know, you don't look for uh, famous blonde people, basically. You don't look for famous uh, uh, bald people. Um, so, so <laughs> Jeff <yeah>. Bezos, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But no, again, you won't see a lot of searches like that. And the reason for that is that people say, okay, you can, you can be very successful even if you're bold. Um, it, it doesn't have, it doesn't have anything to do with it, with, with, with being successful. And that's the same way with, with autism. Yeah. And I, I notice um, a lot of autistic people are sort of written out in terms of their abilities before they even have a chance to really display what they can do. I mean, there's that very famous essay by that uh, mute autistic person. I I don't recall the title or the person's name, but I know it it made big waves in the neurodiversity community because this person wrote a beautiful essay on their experience. And because they weren't able to vocalize their experience in the typical language, uh, people said awful things right in front of them and sort of essentially treated them as if they were, you know, in a living, waking coma. And that's just really sad. And, yeah. and yeah, it is. That, that's, that's one of the reasons I think that walking remotely could really benefit people, um, really benefit autistic people because people won't treat you uh, differently. I mean, ever since I started walking on spectrums, I, I, I figured out that, that might be a good way to actually help autistic people and help neurotypicals uh, to work together afterwards, you know, in the traditional workplace. That might be just a door for that. Without, you know, people won't judge, judge you by, by your cover when you work remotely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I really enjoy about Spectrums uh, is that you don't want to pigeonhole us into the tech sector because that's the one thing there's this idea i guess it stems from the whole silicon valley romanticism of autism and that it's this tech person's condition but you know while i worked in cybersecurity, i'm actually not good at programming and i've tried i don't have much of a natural talent for it and uh i write you know i'm on your site as a freelance writer and most places that 
want to help autistic people in employment, they have this heavy focus on heavy visual spatial tasks and technical tasks, usually involving programming. And people like me get missed because a lot of us don't have those skills. We have skills in writing and Mm -hmm. other talents. I do think there probably a disproportionate demand of autistic people in in, in fields like programming. I do think there's truth to it, but you're right. Creativity is also quite high in in the arts and community. And that is something not often talked about, I find. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of autistic people in law. I worked at a law firm for a while, and I've noticed there's a lot of Aspies in law. It's because the rote memorization for legislation is incredible, and the ability to think creatively really helps in debate, which essentially law is just one big debate. Yeah, so I I read that actually 2.6% of the the developers, um, software developers are autistic, and that's like uh, more than twice the, you know, the the percentage share percentage in the in, in society yeah um yeah so, so, so i think Mark, that's incredible so so what marty said uh, make uh, makes a lot of sense but to be honest with you when i started spectrums you know it was just a few weeks ago uh, officially like launched and, st- and still is in some sort of a stealth mode um I didn't know which co- which category would do best so that's that's the reason i started everything um, i had no idea i can tell you that Currently, most of the freelancers are either designers or writers. That's that's the most we have. We have some uh, software developers um, and, and customer support and, and even marketing. But most of the freelancers listed are either designers or writers. And I still don't know what what will work best. But um, I wouldn't try to fit autistic people to or anyone, by the way, to any any sort of um, you know role that I, I think they fit into. I mean, you have to figure out things along the way, especially when you're doing startup. Yeah, I mean, I've I've hammered this point a couple times. I guess actually all of us have hammered this point a, a couple times now throughout this episode. But um, we had a guest on last time, Reese Finley, he's a comic book artist. And we said that, you know, it being such a big spectrum, it shouldn't be thought of as autistic traits per se. There are certainly, you know, some traits that are seen across the board and, you know, the vast majority of autistic people, but it's like neurotypicality where the way it manifests in a person, they're completely different people. You know, you wouldn't say like, oh, he's that kind of neurotypical. It would just wouldn't make sense. And the variety is there for us as well. Yeah. I, I uh, agree. So if you think about it along those lines. Yeah. yeah. Traits are not inherently autistic or neurotypical. You see a cluster of traits that often uh, come together. I, I totally agree. I mean, uh, and, and and you see so many so many articles and posts about uh, best jobs for autistic people, and um, and you, you even you even see posts like that on on spectrums that other people wrote. But at the end of the day, it would be weird to um, to see an article about best jobs for uh, neurotypicals. Um, yeah, best jobs for brown eyes. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and 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 I think that. Um, I talked to one autistic um, woman in Israel, and and she told me, I don't like uh, when people say people with autism. It's like me saying uh, a person a person with manhood, and that's the that's the that's the point. I I, I really understood it. Um, um, she she like she yelled at me uh, in a good way, but she yelled at me. And she told me that's the same. So stop stop saying that. And again, I mean. It doesn't make sense to read articles about best jobs for brown-eyed people, so it doesn't make sense to to, to to read articles about that. 
I, I, I do, however, say we have a post on Spectrums about 32 remote jobs for, uh, for autistic people. And it's like more of a tool that you answer four questions and you get like a set of things that they, that fit, fit you, uh, uh, that, that, that is, is a better suit for you. And it's very interesting, interesting to see, to see the results. Actually, we want to write a, a blog post about it. Uh, but, um, the, the results are pretty, pretty interesting because, so you have, you have like a four questions. To what extent do you prefer repetitive work? So it's 6.2 out of 10. That's the average. To what extent do you prefer um, your instructions to be well-defined? Less for, you know, less room for improvisation and inter- interpretation. So this is like the highest, the, the highest score, 7.9 average out of 10. That's like 240, 240 people uh, answered that, uh, you know, did that test. Uh, so that, that you see some interesting insights over here. Um, so, so the most important thing for, for people so far is, is to get well-defined instructions and, and, um, and have minimum social interactions. That's that, that came second. Um, so that's, uh, that, that was interesting to see that you do, so you do see common, you know, common ideas among the, yeah. One thing I really think about a lot is if we took so much of the social edge off of things, that is to say, if we had a world where autistic people were embraced rather than punished for being themselves, I wonder how much of these trends we'd see. I wonder how much of this is informed by bad experiences in the past and, you know, autism working together in a negative capacity for the person. You know, I wonder... How much of this would disappear if we had a more accepting world? You know, would we see people be a lot more willing to socialize and fraternize if people were more accepting? I mean, my intuition is that yeah, we would absolutely see that. But you know, yeah, in, in that sense, autism isn't purely a neurological condition; it's also um, a sociological condition. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's something, unfortunately, the scientific literature has really failed to answer. They, you know, the pathology model of psychiatry is such that we're looking more into genetic sequence and we're looking so much more into behavioral aspects under a microscope, but we miss the sociological impact of, well, what informs these decisions, you know, the phenomenological part of the equation. Yeah. And uh, we're starting to see that change, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, we see more and more phenomenal. Jesus, what a word. Research of that kind. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, actually, Eric, have you heard of a, a recent study? I think it came out in 2018 or 2019. I'm going to look at it right now. Uh, how they use MDMA in autistic people who had really high scores of social anxiety, and they found great results. Um, that there was a, a statistically significant drop in reported uh, anxiety scores after just a few sessions and it lasted six months post sessions and then a year after the session so it seems to have a lot of stick and there wasn't too much fluctuation in the overall average i mean these were over 20 points dropping and uh, control saw nowhere near as much um improvement in their scores so i I, I heard about it. I didn't read it. I um, but I, I did hear about it. Um, I can tell you that I saw in Israel they use it for people with PTSD. That's uh, is that the, the English? Uh, yeah. Post traumatic. Yeah. Yes. So so that 
in Israel, they use it uh, for people who experience like, um, you know, we, we live in a tough neighborhood. Uh, so uh, so um, there, there are wars all the time and stuff like that. So, so you have a lot of people with PTSD. Mm-hmm. So they use, they, they use it to treat them and, and it, it, it's, it's actually really promising. They get really promising results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's ironic. I'm looking at the section now where that's the head, this header for this section of the article I wrote is promising results. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, I, and it, you know, to give hard numbers for people, um, firstly, to cite what study I'm talking about, let me find, uh, it's a study authored by Charles Grob and Alicia Danforth and published in the journal Psychopharmacology. The article is titled MDMA Against Social Anxiety. So look for that. And um, to get some numbers. So they found that um, six months after the final experimental session, the control group's average score was about 60, nearly matching the cutoff limit. In contrast, the MDMA group averaged an LSAS score, which is a test to measure the amounts of anxiety someone's feeling, uh, a score of 45. So 15 points below, you know, on average than the control group, Hmm. which is, uh, that's a really big difference. I mean, granted, this study was limited. It was, I think, about 12 to 18 people. But, you know, this is uh, also in relation to what you've talked about, people with PTSD getting this treatment. And we saw very similar things in those results where um, this would be treating PTSD in a lot of ways. I mean, this is social anxiety. And I imagine social anxiety is largely caused by remembering painful memories of being rejected for, you know, being kind of weird to people who didn't understand the behavior profile. And uh, that's it's understandable that this drug that combats PTSD with such power would naturally be good for people on the spectrum who face a lot of that discrimination on a daily basis, too. And PTSD is also highly prevalent among autistic people. Yeah, actually, that's another really sad statistic, uh, as well as co-occurring alexithymia, which a lot of the social and uh, empathy-based deficits, so to speak, that people see in autism, um, Martin and I believe a lot of that is to do due to co-occurring alexithymia that people just haven't really focused on in the literature as much until the last, you know, maybe six years. On a different note, I found when I was 18, I got into mindfulness-based meditation practices because I was finding myself emotionally, you know, going off the deep end and had a lot of traumas I needed to work through. And I found that after some really deep and painful sessions of uh, meditation, I felt feelings for the first time I'd never felt. You know, I'd felt Hmm. more in touch with myself ever. And it was due to an emotional blocking of trauma-induced blocking, not my autism per se, because I'm still just as autistic. But I have a much easier time connecting with people, even noticing facial expressions have become better and easier for me mm. so once you were diagnosed um, did you tell colleagues at work and if you did i mean did you did you find people more um accepting and more more nice to you basically i got um mixed results as far as work colleagues um <laughs> my friends at the job you know the fellow workers actually overwhelmingly were super positive about it and a good amount of them were on the spectrum too 
they just didn't know it. (laughs) (laughs) So that would make sense. And my boss was surprisingly kind about it. In fact, she noticed I had some issue with paperwork because the way the questions were asked, you know, it's a little confusing to me. And uh, after finding out my diagnosis, she thought, oh, well, that makes sense. She actually became kinder to me because she realized I wasn't just trying to be an asshole. I was genuinely trying to figure out what was being lost in translation between our neurotypes, trying to communicate. That's interesting that people assume we're assholes until uh, they hear about our diagnosis. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> so common. I mean, and it, it goes both ways. For example, I've been on dates uh, post-diagnosis and I, I didn't really, um, you know, I started telling my dates because it was, you know, not in like a tirade, but just mentioning it because, you know, it was a prevalent, it was a relevant question during the conversation. And what I found so stark was despite having talked to me and laughing, we're having a great time for an hour. The moment I brought up autism, their affect changed, their personalities, like they started treating me different. It's like, well, you were just treating me totally fine for the last hour. I mean, I didn't morph. I'm not a werewolf. I didn't just turn, you know, like I'm just telling you what's been prevalent throughout this entire time of you knowing me. This is not exactly a secret just because you couldn't see it. You know what I mean? What, what changed it? You know, it was, well, they, they kind of, they felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Some condescending, some uncomfortable, mostly uncomfortable and distant. It was almost like, huh you know, finding out someone has leprosy and you're like, oh God, I don't want to be, (laughs) you know, it's really what it felt like. I was like, damn, I need Ben-Hur to come here and bring me some bread. These people won't get near me. (laughs) I hope that's a really old school reference. Does anyone here watch (laughs) Ben-Hur? I did get the reference. I just thought bread was funny. (laughs) I I didn't. (laughs) Well, bread is delicious. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I eat too much of it. But um, what I'm wondering, Eric, is you're sort of a bridge between neurotypes, you know, you're, you're the Moses of neurotypes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I hope, I hope I would, I, I would, uh, I would be allowed to get into the promised land. Yeah. I, I hope you can really turn sticks into snakes. That'd be badass. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, and that, and you know what, what, why it's funny what you said, because my son's name is, is after the, the, the mountain that, uh, Moses st- stood and look, look at the promised land. <laughs> that's awesome. Was that, was that Mount Sinai? No, it's uh Nevo. Oh, that's so cool. Dang. Your son's going to come hauling a big slab of stone one day. Where did you get this? Well, you know, I was in East Jerusalem and it just kind of appeared. An autistic prophecy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> an autistic prophecy. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a separate guy. We've got an autistic God and uh, he's just been too busy playing with a Rubik's Cube to make himself known. <laughs> uh, but really, in all seriousness, um, as someone who's dealt with companies and you know, startups of various kinds, you know, various sizes of organizations in terms of uh, advocacy and trying to get people to look at autistic people as untapped, you know, talent in the workforce. Uh, what have you, what have you noticed? Did you see any success stories and what do those success stories look like? Like what is it, how does it actually manifest in the real world? So again, my experience um, with, um, 
with traditional work um, at companies is is uh, is limited because they were less open to you know to do that. I I I did read I did read um, yeah. uh, several uh, researches about about that, and and in these researches, they say that. You have to be, and that's why that's why the the, the questions I phrased in in one of the tests I I mentioned before were phrased that way. Um, in the researchers, they said that as long as you you're not vague and um, and and you give very clear instructions and the, the expectations are very clear, you need to educate the environment. It's going to work fine. Even uh, even better than that, but mm-hmm. um, but you have to you have to make you have to make some adjustments, and it includes. Educating people initially and includes um, um, having more uh, one-on-one uh, face-to-face talks, giving feedback about about the job, and 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 once you start, I mean, it's a process of several months, and once you go through the process, then you don't have to to worry about it anymore. Uh, it's simply it's simply you know it works perfectly. So in terms of traditional workplaces that's that's what i what i learned you know that's a summary but that's what i uh, what i learned and one of the articles i wrote is so they have uh, sap has um, uh, an autism at work program it's pretty pretty famous and and they have like um, some sort of uh, manual on how to do it in, in your job in your workplace uh, so i simply wrote the short version um, of it and, and the lean version for it. So any company without the resources of SAP could do that. It, it even includes like um, um, a Trello board with, with the tasks you need to do and, and, and everything. Uh, and when I sent it, I was hoping that I was hoping that companies would be open to do it because here it is. You, can, you, you, can, you just need to implement it. It's pretty simple. It's not that, that complicated, but I was, I was pretty, pretty depressed about the fact that, you know, that they were less open to that. And I reached out to diversity and inclusion professionals. Why do you think there's so much resistance? I, I, I wouldn't say it's resistance. I would say it's, it's not prioritized on the top of the list. You know, when you say diversity, you first talk about women and you talk about um, 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 African-Americans. Um, so and, mm-hmm. and, and, and autism, autistic people are, are, are not, on, not on the top of the list. Yeah. And that's, that's a shame. And so, so I, think, I, think, I think we need to tackle it in a different way. Arguably, this is where the, the neurodiversity umbrella does help because it does... Um, make it so that you have a larger group of people than just the 2.5 percent of autistic people. I agree, but you have to. You have to. So basically, every research uh, that I read um, said the same thing. You have to do accommodations. Yeah. And that makes sense. You have to do accommodations. So in that sense, it. I mean, it might help in a way, but you know, you have to do different accommodations to different type of neurodivergent people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's relatively it's relatively more expensive, and that's that's why, you know, when I pitch companies, hey, go go, you know, you have autistic people, um, you can hire them without the extra expenses and without having a diversity team and without anything. Just go ahead and hire someone as a freelancer, and I believe that uh, once they will work with autistic people, they will see how exceptional many of them. Uh, and and, the, and we'll, they will get results. Uh, that would be the basically the interview. That would be the um, the door that ho- opens possibilities for both parties. Uh, you know, to work 
to work mm. together. That I mean, and and so far, it's again, it's very, it's 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 even before the beginning, but nevertheless, I we already have several projects posted, so I see people are open to um, mm-hmm. to that. I mean, you you simply lower the barrier or you remove the barrier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know one of the biggest things that took a toll on me was uh, fluorescent lighting. Fluorescent lighting just. After an extended period of time under heavy fluorescent lighting, it just uh, starts hurting my head and I, I can feel my cognitive performance slipping. Yeah, same. That's, um, you know, when, when you think about it, it, it isn't really a problem. I mean, okay, so if we, if we have a problem with noise, so go ahead and buy, a, buy a, you know, noise, noise cancellation uh, bows to, uh, to the employee. That's, that's okay. That's not... You know, for, for, for example, for the tech companies, it's not really a problem. And if you have a problem with lightning, so you can find a different place for, for them to work for. I mean, you can do the accommodations, but it's, um, I feel that when you start telling people about it, although it's not a big deal and, it's re- and it really isn't a big deal, they see it as a big deal. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about the, le- the, the legal team you have to start. They think they have to start involving in, in it and, so it seems like it's um, um, there are companies who, who do that, like SAP and Microsoft and and, and other companies. Uh, but um, I feel that in order in order for it to to spread to really spread among uh, the business community, people simply have to to work with autistic to have the autistic. They need to have an experience, a good experience, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, without all the fuss around it. I'm wondering if smaller companies are more readily accommodating for autistic people than larger companies because the larger ones want to maximize on the potential. And so they include the marketing team, they include the legal team, and it becomes such a big project. Then, of course, it's it's not a high priority. Exactly. And that's the reason I said, I mean, and that's the reason I created the, the, the lean version of the, the guide. Mm-hmm. So any company can do that, even a small company. You know, there, there are several several uh, nonprofits who, who educate companies about how to be more uh, autistic friendly and that's that's amazing yeah but it's a process for them for several several months so if i take three people or mm. four people four people start up and i say hey meet uh, meet john is um he's autistic let let him tell you what's important for him what bothers him i mean you are again it's like a family it's more open and, mm-hmm. and people will feel um I, I think it should start with with smaller companies and by the way, when I when I reach out to companies right now to hire freelancers, I target smaller companies. I target startups. I'm not targeting big companies. Yeah, it's a, it's a long process yeah. with them. Yeah. So so what is your goal with that? Are you going to work up to larger companies in time? Um, first of all, first of all, I take uh, I take uh, I take it step by step. Um, so so my goal currently is to to have at least uh, one or two projects posted each week. So that's that's my current goal. But my my end goal is is I would I would be very happy if um, I would be very happy if, if this would become a way for companies to hire full time employees. Yeah. You know, to start start with different projects, get paid for these projects, get paid fairly for this project. So everyone makes money up. You know makes money and, and, and can, can, can learn from the experience. Mm-hmm. And if it's a good fit, you can continue working together. That's, um, it sounds like a great vision for me. Yeah. When, when, I'm, when I'm building it, it, it sounds like a cliche, but I really think about my son. I think about how 
I know it's going to be hard for him to go into a new workplace. It's he's young, but I these these things takes time. Yeah, these things take time. So I'm trying just to build something. That, so you're cultivating yeah, a better incredible. future. I, yes, yes. I yes, mean, yes. I really um, I just appreciate how how much as someone who's never been diagnosed, you know, how much you care to look into it and earnestly and amount of research done and the fact that you really are embracing autistic perspectives, which makes me wonder, um, what, what have you learned personally from interacting with autistic people? You know, is there insights about your own life that have, you know, grown out of this interaction with a very different subset of people and, you know, maybe epiphanies even about how to interact with others in the world at large? I think that what um, th- th- that's a good question. Um, I-, I need to think about it more, but but just just you know to the, the first thing that ca- comes to my my head is um, I really I really think I really think I learned about diversity, like real diversity, like the you know the, the there are so many different people. I mean, people are are really different from one another. So so I think that's what I learned. Uh, from the process and and from 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 my son, he is really I mean he is different and he's uh, he's a lot different than other autistic people. So and and each autistic people is is a lot different than 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 other autistic people. So at the end of the day, we're all different. I mean and um, say that neurologically the autistic brains in fact more diverse than than neurotypical brains. It's it's interesting. Yes, we have a lot of traits in common, and and yet there's so much diversity, particularly on the autism spectrum. I, I agree, and I think that's one of the problems that you you take so many different people, and and you take some you know a small portion of traits, and you say, okay, they are all in the same spectrum. It's it's kind of um, I, I I think this this should be should should be should be fixed in, in one day, maybe maybe a different. Um, different segmentation if people are so eager to get some sort of segmentation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think diversity, diversity is the most important thing I learned about it. Absolutely. And uh, we talked about your son a lot, but uh, I wonder what are his special interests? You know, what are the things that he, you know, obsesses over? Actually, I'm not, I don't know if I'm obsessed about it, but is um, he really likes music, not, not to play music, but to listen to music and he, um, he listens to the music I listen to. He, he already has his own playlist on Spotify. Oh wow! And he, yeah, and, and if he if if he hears like a good song, I I'm you know I'm, we're driving together and I'm telling him, hey, I just added this uh, this song to my playlist. Do you want to edit? So he says, let let me let me hear it first. <laughs> and sometimes he says, yes, I want I want to put it in, and sometimes that and, and that's. Um, so that's one thing he really, really likes. Um, and what, what kind of music um, is this primarily? You know, give us a few examples. <laughs> it's a, so um, mainly rock. Um, and again, I think that's mainly because of what I listen to. Uh, but you would let me, you know, let me, let me take it. Um, let me have a look. I'll tell you exactly. So he has um, One of These Nights by the Eagles. He has co- colors by Black Pumas. He has Highway Tune by Greta Van Fleet. He has, t- he has Bruce Springsteen, but that's because it's, because of his father. <laughs> so, 
Slanderow, Tougher Than The Rest, yes, uh, Guns N' Roses. So he's, uh, he's, he's doing well. I'm very happy about it. Yeah, he really loves his 60s to 80s era music. Huh? <laughs> I, mean, I can imagine uh, he's going to be six years old, lying in his bedroom, listening to Stairway to Heaven. Just <laughs> <laughs> he, he even have some swamp rock here. So that's, uh, that's even nice. <laughs> That's wild. Does he listen to Queens of the Stone Age? No, 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 no. Uh, I recommend. I recommend you both listen to that band. Incredible music. I, I will. So, so that one of the most, uh, one of my favorite thing is to discover new new music. So, can uh, you send it over? Yeah, definitely. I will send it. Um, two songs in particular. No one knows. And threes and sevens. I feel like threes and sevens is one of honestly one of the greatest rock songs I've ever heard. I'm a big stand for rock music too. So I, I do know, I do know I was one of those uh, weird kids in middle school who would just carry CDs of Queen and the Ozzy Osbourne two disc essential collection set and Def Leppard. <laughs> like, true. yeah, I, I, it wasn't good enough just to have the records. I needed the best records. So I would be like the kid perusing the cool. discs aisle in major stores, like curating my playlist of CDs. Um, so, no, so that yeah, hopefully, hopefully it will be yeah, the same. I'm a dinosaur. You don't want those CDs. without the CDs, obviously. Uh, you know, it's uh, Spotify. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I have my CDs as well, kept uh, kept in a safe place. Absolutely. So he really loves to. He really loves that, and he loves TV. He loves TV. Oh hell yeah! We try to you know to put put a limit to it, but not because he's autistic, because he's a child. Yeah, TV, too much TV isn't good for anyone age, age agnostic really isn't you don't want to sit in front of the tube too <laughs> exactly 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 yeah do you like foo fighters the band um no i i, I actually don't actually don't i was trying to listen to i was trying to listen to them quite a lot uh but i couldn't um i don't know why i don't know why if you have like some um, um but i'm open to giving it to try again so if you want to send some uh, some songs that you think that can make me fall in love, then feel free to do that. Yeah, I'll send you, um, send you some Prince songs. You'll be loving everyone you're seeing when you listen to that. Uh, 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 Little Purple Rain. Yeah, I know. I know. I know that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> are you familiar with J.J. Gray and Mofo? Have you heard about them? No, but that's a hell of a name. Yeah, yeah. It's a- <laughs> no, I'm not. No. <laughs> what is that again? J.J. what? The jet plane? J.J. Gray and Mofo. M O F R O. Whoa, that's wild. I don't even know what that means. Me, me neither. <laughs> is that even a word? But uh, yeah, I heard their song in one of uh, in House of Cards, ah. and I simply shazammed it, and and I started like from there. I think I think they are my favorite uh, band right now. Mm. They're really really good. Uh, you know what? Let me see if Nevo's playlist is is. Um, let me see if it's a public. Maybe I can share it with you guys. You can see what. Uh... Yeah, that, I was gonna suggest that. That'd be so cool. Um, he's gonna he's gonna be internet famous. Just have the playlist. <laughs> he's gonna have to curate. He's gonna be curating playlists for the world. Yeah, that's it. His, his playlist will be played in clubs all over the world. That'd be so badass. The four year olds whose playlist is played around the world. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, I just I just sent it. Uh, there has there are some Hebrew songs over there, but uh, basically uh, most of it is uh, is not Hebrew. Yeah, so I just linked a song called "Epyrophobia" by Animals as Leaders, and this is a really crazy band. Um, 
the lead guitarist Tozen Abasi. I mean, he plays an eight string. This is like an eight string classical guitar that he'll he'll play the melody line and syncope really? with a bass line on the same instrument. He's in, he's insane. He's beyond human. And um it's jazz, jazz, classical Spanish, and math rock mixed into one song. And I mean, any nerd who loves analyzing music, if your son's really into analyzing music, he's he's gonna spend eons decoding what the hell's happening here. <laughs> I mean yeah no that's that sounds amazing i'm gonna i'm gonna check it out and so uh we're getting near the end here but i have two very important questions to ask you yeah uh one tell us why hummus is so damn delicious and part two (laughs) in your opinion where should i go to get the best hummus if i'm visiting either tel aviv or jerusalem this is delicious (laughs) um yeah, it, it, it's delicious. I mean, yes, it's easily the most important things I've asked throughout this entire episode. <laughs> it, is, it is the most important thing. <laughs> um, so um, um, the best one is, there are several ones. Uh, actually, actually, the, the best one I ate is, is actually in an Arab, in Israeli Arab village near uh, at the north, northern Israel. Uh-huh. Um, so that's, that's the best one I ate. Uh, but there is some sort of a consensus that the best one is uh, uh, is in Akko. Akko is also in the north, um, and and it's called uh, Hamas Said. So that's 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 probably the biggest consensus. Dang! Wow, I gotta check it out. Check it out, people. Book your tickets now. <laughs> well, not now. Stay inside. Self quarantine. When all this is over, go to Israel and get some exactly. damn hummus, please. Exactly. And it's 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 hot in Israel. I mean, the hummus is hot. I, I I know I took someone from the states to eat hummus in Israel, and he was pretty amazed that that you got like a hot dish of hummus because I I think that in the states, uh, you pretty much get it cold. Uh, so yeah, you, you mean like temperature wise, right? Yes, yeah, yes, that's yes. true. I've I've never gotten a warm bowl of hummus so in that's, my life. That's a, I feel I feel cheated. That's a different experience. That I'm I'm not I'm uh, because I'm I'm not eating um, cheeseburgers. I'm I'm not eating. You know that's that's like um, some sort of um, traditional thing uh, for for some Israelis not to eat um, meat and dairy at the same at the same dish. But people tell but. Other Israelis who, who do eat uh, meat and dairy in the same dish told me it's like eating hummus without a pita. Um, so that's basically, that's a great example. <laughs> well, don't judge me too hard, but I've done that. I, I love hummus so much. It's amazing. And uh, Martin, have you got any uh, closing questions for Eric? I don't know. It's difficult as a closing question. Uh, I was curious about Sonia Bato. Oh, yeah. Well, we, can, we can talk about that. No um, so rush it. I, basically, um, as someone who runs a crowdfunding platform, one of the biggest challenges is to is to do customer support. You constantly talk with people about how to succeed with their crowdfunding campaign, simply because you as a business owner, you won't make money if they would raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept repeating myself. Uh, so I decided to basically build some sort of, um, of a bot that basically gives you like a 30-day program to run your crowdfunding campaign, and that's that's Sonia. It's it's like a thirty day campaign plan oh, wow. to run your crowdfunding campaign that tells you each day what to do. 
So it's actually password protected, but um, I'm going to share the password here so you can share it with the neurodivergent uh, community. Dang, the gifts um, keep coming. It's Christmas. So I just sent it. So people, it's, um, yeah, it's, um, it's a Bruce Springsteen's album. So <laughs> It's a wonderful password because it's a state nobody even visits. It's not even much of a giveaway because we have a bunch of those in America. (laughs) Yeah, one thing I was curious: Did you have a hand in actually coding Sonya Bot? Or oh, um, there are um, no code tools that enables you to uh, to do that. I've I've spent a lot of time designing it, but um, the experience it's but I didn't code it. Oh, so I guess you you contracted uh, programmers, right? No, 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 no. There is. Um, oh. Let me let me try to remember. Uh, you found an open source project, or no, no. It's a service called Chatview. Oh wow! Uh, it's a it's a they have like a free version, uh, and you can simply you know it's drag and drop. Wow! Exactly. Mm. That's so you can you can mm. do that. Um, That's crazy. Yes, and it it had a it had a big impact. Um, it helped a lot of people and it, it also helped me as a business owner. I mean, I, I didn't have to spend so much time at the phone or in emails explaining what to do next. Like they had, they had a plan. Once you start, you know, using it, you'll see it's, 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 while it's generic, it's all, it also gives you specific action items. So, um, as, so, so that's, uh, how does Sonya Bot's functionality map onto, uh, the various, crowdfunding services out there, you know, Indiegogo and Kickstarter and bon- uh, not Bonfire. Um, well, yeah, anyway, how, how do they map onto the others? What I mean, um, so, so it doesn't recommend any, any other service. It's, it's, it's anyone with, um, you know, with, with a crowdfunding campaign with um, a road or donation-based uh, campaign, you know, could, could find it very, very useful. That's awesome. So yeah, so any anyone then on any platform uh, that that raise money, GoFundMe and, and you know Kickstarter, Indiegogo, you can use it. I even it even includes maybe not Sonia, maybe I have a crowdfunding course. Um, it includes like um, um, a perk bank, so it gives you like um, in three or four different categories uh, a list of uh, perks you can choose from. That's really cool. Yeah, feel free to yeah you know you have the you have the password. Feel free to try. It. Absolutely. Um, I will. I, I will not visit the state, but I, I will f- try the bot. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, with that, oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to? Would you want to say? Yeah, just I just wanted to say that if people hear us and and they feel they want to work from home, so feel free to you know to visit Spectrum and sign up as uh, freelancers. I'm, I'm I'm I would be delighted to you know to work with uh, with. Everyone. Absolutely. All of you neurodiverse folks listening, please, please come and join this. It's an important project. And I mean, we all want a better world for us. So why not? Why not join something that's actively putting money in your pocket and helping others on various uh, ner- other people of various neurotypes yeah. and NTs out there? Spread the word. Be good allies. And uh, with that, we're coming to a close. This is the time where you plug yourself. Where can people find you, follow you? I think uh, Twitter would be best. Uh, it's Eric Broch. It's pretty. It's it's pretty 
difficult to understand from from mm-hmm. my uh, the way I pronounce it, but I just sent it, um, and they can simply look for Art Marmustein or, or on Twitter or uh, on LinkedIn. Yeah, and especially on Spectrum. And for the listeners, it's at sign at E R I K Eric Brach B R O D C H. All one word, no underscores. We don't mess with those around here. Exactly. And uh, any other plugs? Anything else you want to get out there for the world? No, that's I'm good. I'm good. Absolutely. Eric, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, honestly, until I did research for this episode, I, I didn't even realize how, I mean, the crazy amount of stuff you've done. Dang, dude, you're you're uh, you're busy as hell. <laughs> I am, man. Thank, thank, thanks a lot for the opportunity to share uh, to share it. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you.